Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. If you own a business or conducting the marketing for that business and you use graphics or pictures from the internet, then publish them as your own, you might be putting yourself in jeopardy. Now, I know you say that might be crazy, but I'm going to say you're crazy yourself. If you're using copyrighted material from another company or another person, and frankly, that's a crime. And if you're not paying attention, you could get a huge fine. And I, and I think, and my guest will clarify this, it could be up to $150,000. It's a federal infringement. And if you're a small business, that could put you out of business. So today's show, we're going to try to keep you safe when it comes to your trademarks, your IP, your copyrights, and all those other things you should be paying attention to. And I know it's probably not tops on your mind, but it should be. So today at the cafe, I'm excited to have Sharon Adams founder and president of Adams Law Offices on our show to discuss the importance of protecting your trademark, your copyrights, and your IP. But before we get started, stay tuned. I'm going to take a quick break. I was recently speaking with the president of a manufacturing company. When the topic turned to competitors, his response was, we don't have any competitors. We're the market leaders, and they look to us for their cues. I don't pay any attention or worry about them at all. How many times have you heard this said? For me, as a marketer, plenty. Regardless if you're the market leader, a challenger, you have competition. Whether your competition is a specific company, new technology, or anything else that changes the dynamics of the market you serve, you have a competitor. You need to consider setting up a competitive intelligence program as an ongoing business strategy and not treat your program as an annual task. In my opinion, understanding your competition is as important as understanding your customers. To help you begin thinking about the process, time requirements, and the monetary investment that it takes to develop and implement an effective program, I've created an ebook as a resource that you can find on my website at theponzigroup.com. An effective competitive program helps you keep one eye on your competition while keeping one eye on opportunities. Thank you again, and I appreciate your listening. As I mentioned, I'm joined by Sharon Adams, founder and president of Adams Law Offices, to discuss the importance of protecting your IP. Sharon, welcome. Thank you, Angelo. It's great to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I'm excited about the information that uh, you're going to be giving away for free today. I know you can't make uh, legal recommendations. I think that's probably uh, some kind of bylaws or secret handshake you have to do as a lawyer, but but hopefully they'll, the, the listeners today are going to take away some nuggets and some information that can help, frankly, save them from some potential uh, devastating losses or, or, or being sued. And um, hopefully we'll get some stories that we can go into today. But before we get started, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your business so we can get things in context as we go through the rest of the show. Okay, great. Um, Yes, my name is Sharon Adams, and I am the owner and principal at Adams Law Office, which is in the Bay Area. I'm a trademark attorney, and I'm also a registered patent attorney, which means that I uh, can help people get their inventions protected before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So um, to become a 
patent attorney, just I know we're talking about trademarks and copyrights today, but I also do patents. And to become a patent attorney, you have to have a science undergrad degree, and then you have to go on and take a separate bar, the patent bar to become a patent attorney. So I am a registered patent attorney. And then I was doing that. And from that, I it is called the United States Patent and Trademark Office. So I sort of expanded into trademarks from my patent work. And I've learned that I actually really love doing trademark work. Um, I really have an affinity to helping clients brand their products, get protection for their brand names, use their trademarks in the online community and um, enable them to grow their businesses and be successful because I believe trademarks are extremely important for that. And also, you know, you mentioned copyrights, which isn't something I do a lot of, but I have definitely helped clients in the situations that you're talking about with, uh, images on the internet that, you know, they get a cease and desist letter about that. Well, I think the, you know, when we think about you know, trademarking your, your business name or your logo or, or the, or your different brands, I mean, it's so important to protect those. I mean, there's so many stories out there of brands losing their brand actually. And, and the ones I always go to are Kleenex, of course, and, and Xerox. Yep. And, um, which is always interesting. And those are probably the two that people are, are most familiar with. And I'm sure there's others, but you have to protect and, and, and keep control and manage your brand constantly. And, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this in our, in our kind of pre-discussions, but I actually originally came out of the advertising agency world. So there were so many times where, you know, we were creating and developing brands and how do we protect them from being infringed upon or, or, or getting convoluted in the marketplace, right? It's so easy to confuse, confuse the market by, by not uh, having brand consistency. And that's it. That's with your images and everything else. Do you find that when someone comes to you, are they coming from, I've got this trademark that I want to do, or, you know, Hey, I have a mark and it looks like somebody's starting to use it or they're creating confusion out there, or do you get all of the above? I mainly do the first thing that you said when people want to get a trademark, because I don't do, I try to avoid litigation. I just want to stay on the transactional side. So people come to me with a trademark um, that they would like to get registered and I help them with that. Or sometimes what happens is people have tried to register a trademark and they get what's called an office action from the United States Patent and Trademark Office and they don't know how to respond. So I help them in that situation also. Um, I just wanted to actually pick up on something you said about the Kleenex and Xerox. Mm -hmm. um, I do believe those are still registered trademarks, but what happened with those is that they became uh, ubiquitous. Like people say Xerox for when they mean printer, but I do believe that Xerox is still a um, registered trademark. And what's interesting about the word Xerox is that it actually is a completely arbitrary uh, word. It was made up. And that is uh, what's considered to be the highest level in terms of trademarking uh, for in terms of the protection that you can get. So that's probably why it is still a protected and registered trademark. Although I understand what your point was that it's sort of used to mean um, a printer. But to my mind, that actually shows the effectiveness of their <laughs> brand name and how it's become so widespread. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, 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 and that's really what I was referring to is it's just become this generic term of printers or making copies. Yeah. 
you know, make me make me 10 Xerox copies of this. Right. And right. and I've got a cannon over here. So exactly. You know, so it gets confusing. The same thing with tissues, you know, pick me up some Kleenex and you go and there's, you know, 50 different brands and, and only Kleenex is only one of them. Right. And, and I think that that has become is important because if it, you know, I, I and, and what I understand when people are using these in a generic sense, it really in, in essence, dilutes the brand, right? Because now you're just confused. Is, is Kleenex mean puffs or does Kleenex mean Kleenex or does, does it mean something else? Uh-huh. But you said something that was interesting that I've actually never heard before. So I want to clarify that. You said there's with Xerox, because the name was made up, it was one of the highest levels of, of protections or trademarks. And so could you explain that? Because I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. Be happy to. Um, they have a few levels. So arbitrary, that would be like Xerox. It's just a completely made up word. Um, Kodak, I believe is another one that was completely made up. And now we all know what it means, right? But that is the highest level. So if you go in for a trademark with the United States Patent and Trademark Office, uh, made up arbitrary name will receive the highest level of protection. The lowest level of protection is actually, well, you can't even get a trademark for a generic trademark. And that would be like corner store. You cannot get a trademark on corner store because all it is is completely generic. It just describes the store that's on the corner. Um, And then in between is uh, something that's called descriptive. So that might be something like um, Joe's corner store. Mm -hmm. Maybe not Joe's, but something that's got a little bit more of a distinctive flavor to it. And that's the in between name. And actually, That is where a lot of people come in to me with these sort of what I would call descriptive trademarks. Um, For example, like wine country tours or something like that when you're doing tours. It's it's it probably could get a trademark, but it's descriptive. And to my mind, it's not a good trademark because of that reason, even if you can get it registered with you can get it registered, but it's not really a good trademark because if you've got wine country tours, let's say, and then somebody else can get like wine country cabs or somebody else could get tours in the wine country, you see how it's just like there's too many variations. So you're much better off. And okay, I I just have a lot of thoughts about trademarks, but so often people come in with this, this, and they really are attached to the name. They're like, but this is what we do. And this is what we are. And, you know, I want to say, okay, um, but how are people going to find you on the internet? I remember I, I stayed at this hotel, it was called Pacific Coast Hotel. And I was like, trying to find the information about it. And all that came up was all the hotels along the Pacific Coast. And so I couldn't even find the hotel that I was staying in. So that's why if you have something that's a little bit distinctive, then people can find you, which is what you really want from a branding and marketing perspective. Well, well, absolutely. And you're looking for something that you can help to differentiate your brand from somebody else's. But if you're all using, to your point, wine in your in your description, in your logo, there is confusion in the marketplace. And and uh, I can certainly understand that. The um, so I want to go back a little bit. I, I do ask my guests uh, some specific questions. OK, so when it comes to growing your business, what keeps you up at night? Right now, I'm having a lot of uh, 
new clients, which is a great thing. Okay, let me just say that up front. And I'm sort of at this point of trying to expand. And I guess that's kind of what's keeping me up at night is how to um, grow my business, which let me just say, I've listened to a few of your podcasts. And I understand like you were even I think one of your last ones was about, oh, you know, you know, I know how to do the law, but do I know how to run a business, you know, and that's kind of mm -hmm. where I'm at. I know a lot about the law, but running a business is not what I went to school for. So I think that's where I'm at right now is sort of like expanding and figuring out the right the right way to expand and how to keep my quality of product while uh, growing. Okay. All right. What's the best business advice you've ever given and or received if it's different? I think the best business advice I was given was to, it was my business coach and it was to really track the amount of time that I was spending not generating income. Because maybe as a, you know, you maybe you understand this also, but it's very easy to get involved in a lot of work that seems like your I, one, is busy, but that's not actually generating the income. So when I started to track, I think he called it like vampire time or something like that. The amount of time that I was actually like just working, I thought I was working, but I wasn't generating income. That, that was extremely helpful to me. Very helpful to growing my business. Yeah. Yeah, that that's in general. This is we're going to get off topic for a second, but that's actually very interesting. So you listeners out there that really have time, if you're a solopreneur like us or have a small business, what you have to sell is time. Yes, our knowledge and our experience, but ultimately it boils down to time and how you spend that time is important. And I actually use an app, and I so when I work with clients, whether they want the time or not, I do track it because. A lot of them want to see, you know, at the end of the month, where did I spend my time and what did I do? Time is so important to make sure that you're um, you're tracking it. So as a as a business owner, if your journey was a book, what would the title be? Oh my goodness, um, from east to west. I don't know. I grew up on the east coast. I All came right. to California to live the California dream. And uh, that was the right choice for me. All right. Where are you, where are you from? Connecticut originally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm from New York. So another transplant. Yeah. Coming to live the California dream. And, exactly. and a day like today that you listeners are not in Southern California or in California period. Uh, uh, it's beautiful here. <laughs> yeah. Don't, 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 don't pay attention to the sunshine behind us. Right. Um, we don't want you out here. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. Yeah. <laughs> So when it comes to, to, to protecting the trademark, what are, what are some of the common mistakes or that businesses make? I mean, I, I, I want to say mistakes or misconceptions or just things that businesses don't do that you find that you get phone calls for or, or you just see in, in, in the work in, that you have done. Okay. Well, I, like to file trademark applications. And I have had many clients that come to me that have been in business for, let's say, five years, and they never went for a trademark on their name, on their company name, or their product, whatever it is, okay, that they're selling. And, and five years in, you know, they've got their client base, they've got their website, they've got all their marketing materials, they've got their, you know, status on the search engines. And they go to file a trademark application, and they find out that in the intervening time, between when they started their business and when they went to file for this trademark application, somebody else went for the same 
or a very similar trademark application. And they cannot get a registered trademark on their brand name. And just to maybe explain a little bit, they probably can keep using that name because they were a prior user. So they would have that right. But it just gets very, very complicated. And I I understand when people are starting out, there's you know cost considerations and a lot of times trademarks aren't high on the list. But what I like to say to people is, well, success breeds competition. So, hey, maybe nobody's trying to use your brand now, but once you get successful, people will, or they'll try to approach it so that they can draw your clients to their uh, name. And maybe they will get a registered trademark, and then they will have so many advantages uh, in the online world, which maybe we can talk about in a minute. But that's really one of the key things that I really want to say to people is it's really not this is my thought on trademarks. It's one of the most cost effective uh, intellectual property rights that a business owner can get. They're not that expensive to obtain. And then you get a huge uh, level of protection across many, many online platforms. Yeah, let, let's let's you brought it up. So let's go. Let's go there. So when you're filing for a trademark, I mean, is it is it a single use or is it use for everything right so no matter where i use it whether it's printed or online i mean i I own it right right in in now and so you wanted to talk a little bit about that but let me throw one other thing so you can elaborate on this so if i file a trademark here in the united states but then i decide i'm going to start marketing in asia or europe am i still protected okay you are protected in the united states and you you are not going to be protected internationally unless you file for an international trademark, which you can do also. Uh, I want to clarify something, though, about use, because you said uh, single use and across the different platforms. So, yes, what a trademark is, is it's for your goods or services. So you have to apply for a trademark in a specific category. Um, and like, for example, if you're selling um business consulting services, you're in a specific category, and you can have a trademark in that category that somebody that sells, for example, windshield wipers could also have the exact same trademark, exactly the same, but it's in a different category. So so that's one uh, feature of the trademarks that I think people need to understand. So it is specific to your uh, what you apply for in the trademark application. And it's interesting. So I had a client in the fan business before, like, you know, electric fans and their entire logo consisted of the world's best fans. I won't say their name, the world's best fans. Okay. And, but, but they didn't isolate the world's best with the name of the company. They made it an integral part of, of the trademark. So when we started working with them as an agency, we were trying to get them to eliminate the world's best and just start the brand. And they were fighting us. So we did a a Google search on the world's best dot, dot, dot. And after they saw that laundry list of things, they 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 dropped the world's best name. uh, Exactly. That's exactly it. People really love their name. They a lot of times they really do love their name and they come in. But from a branding perspective, if 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 everybody else is using that or something similar, um, it's really not helpful. And just to give you another little wrinkle of trademark law, the world's best would be considered 
laudatory and it's considered descriptive and it's not, therefore it's not really important if it were ever to come to an infringement matter with a trademark or even with another trademark being a, you know, somebody applying for a similar trademark, that phrase is not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to get you any real level of protection. And then, and then back to international then. So if I have a trademark here in the U.S., I'm protected. But if I start marketing my goods and services in Asia, I have to file uh, for, in Asia as well. Right. To protect myself. Okay. And you can do that from the United States. I could do that. One can do that. Yeah, I can't. I can't do that. You probably could, <laughs> but it, it, you have to go through a you know an international portal, and it's sort of complicated. It's basically a charge um, based on the number of countries that you file in. So you choose the countries that you want to be in, and then you would file for protection there. And then they still do review it. Uh, you can base it on your U.S. trademark, though, to go forward. Okay. Tell me, tell me a story. I love stories. So tell me a story of of a client that you worked with and and that was, you know, had a, I'll call it a successful usage or application. Probably the more interesting story is someone who came to you and said, I'm in trouble because I've, I've been using this mark for a while or, or I lost the mark, which happens. I think you have to renew every 10 years. Um, and, and case in point, I actually had my own trademark for a while and the paperwork would roll in and I throw it in a drawer and not pay attention to it. And, and then one, one day around year 11, uh, I realized that I had lost it and had to fight to get it back. Mm. Um, so was that I, for I, your which trademark was that? What do you call board track? And 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 nobody had anything to do with it, right? There there was no such industry that I, I created the kind of the research industry. But as I went along, people started surrounding and using variations of my name, trying to infringe upon what I was doing. And at one point in time, as I think I said, I. I was not paying attention and uh, trademark expired and I never renewed it until I, all of a sudden I realized that I was getting these emails, people alerting to me the fact was somebody was trying to steal it basically. So I had to go in and fight to get it back and long story short. But um, so back to my question then is tell me a story about something that, that you've been involved with that, that kind of a good lesson for the listeners. Well, it's almost the same as what you were saying. It was a business here in the Bay Area. I'm not going to say the name. And they've been in business uh, since like the early 2000s. It was a restaurant kind of business. And they had a registered trademark and for their services. And uh, same thing. They allowed it to lapse. And in the meantime, somebody else filed. There was a few, actually, that filed with similar names. and then this client came to me, they had done that thing where they filed their own trademark application. And then they came to mm -hmm. me when they got the office action, rejecting it because of these prior filed applications for a similar name. And I had to go through quite an extensive uh, research and analysis and arguments. And we were ultimately successful. But part of the reason it's just very, very complicated. And part, of, I don't even want to go into all the complexities of why we were successful. It's sort of beyond the scope of this talk. But, you know, this person had been using that name for almost 20 years, and they even had a registered trademark, but they had allowed it to lapse. And what I'm finding is, so there's so many more trademark applications being filed now, which is something I actually do want to mention. Um, 
I had touched on it before about how you can use your trademark across many, many platforms. Mm -hmm. And what's happening now is like Instagram, uh, various, uh, well, Instagram, Twitter, all of those. If you have a brand name and you, a lot of companies are getting their products out on Instagram now. And if you have a registered trademark, you know, with the registration, then Instagram will help you. But if you don't, then somebody else that does have that registered trademark will be the one that's allowed to use that name on Instagram. And that's also true on Amazon. So a lot of people are, a lot of people are filing for trademarks now. And that's why I'm recommending that people take this step to file uh, so that they can protect their name because because of this, because of the online world, and you know now with COVID nineteen, we're even more online. So it's having that ability to prevent others from using your name online is extremely important. Well, that's interesting what you just said because, like, once again, I was not aware of that. Hmm. So uh, Instagram and Facebook and some of those are giving kind of I'll say more preference to registered marks than those that that might not have a registered mark is what I heard you say. Yeah, like if you have a name um, and, you know, you want to go to in Instagram or Facebook and say, hey, this is my name. You know how sometimes you can send in a complaint notice on those sites mm -hmm. and they'll be like, OK, well, where's your if you have a registered trademark, we can talk. If you do not, uh, you know, good luck in the uh, marketplace. You can fight it out with the other people that ha don't have registered trademarks. That's okay. kind of their attitude. And I think that's important, too, is is with what we're talking about is is that circle R, that registration yes. versus the logo with the TM next to it, which yeah. uh, I'm not sure what that actually means. It just means common law trademark. <laughs> OK. Doesn't really protect you if somebody else has an R and you have a TM. It probably might protect you if you're a prior user. Like I was saying before, that company that had been using their company name, they could have TM and they would probably still be able to continue using it. But no, and if you're just, it doesn't really protect you with somebody that has an R in a circle. Okay. Do you find that that business owners and small, medium-sized business owners or, or startups are confused about a TM, a trademark, a copyright, a patent? And do you have to spend a lot of time educating folks on the, the differences? Yeah, uh, especially, yeah, people always use the wrong word. That's fine. I mean, I understand that. I did want to, um, yeah, actually, you know, there was something just, this is a story I like to share. If you don't All mind, right. you were asking for stories. We're, we're storytelling here. Yeah. And this isn't somebody I worked with, but it's just a company that I think was really effective. Like I said before, I do patents and a lot of what I do is consumer products. So I like to do products where people are trying to get their product out to the consumer market and have a brand name to protect it. And a lot of times I recommend a design patent, which is a specific kind of patent that's related to the physical shape of an object, the ornamental design as it's called. And I don't know if you know OXO, OXO and the carrot peeler, that brand? No. Okay. It, it's pretty famous. It's actually in the Smithsonian, if you can imagine, but it's a carrot peeler that has like basically a bicycle handle grip. It's got a cushy black handle. And the inventor had his, I'll tell you the whole story. The inventor had a wife who had arthritis and the old carrot peelers had a very hard metal handle and she wanted something softer. So he's like put, basically took a bicycle grip, handlebar grip and put it onto the carrot peeler and made a soft 
handle, got a design patent on that, got the trademark for OXO, OXO. And if you go into a grocery store or Target or any of those places, you will see the shelf space. From that branding, they have gone into a huge amount of uh, kitchen products. They have a fabulous brand name, their trademark, they expanded their business, and that was all from the simple design patent and a brand name. So that's kind of my favorite story of how those two can really work together. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I actually never heard of that before. Not that I shop for a lot of kitchen products, uh, <laughs> but I, now I, I will take a look. Go down to the like aisle where they have the kitchen stuff and look, you'll you'll definitely see it. I can almost guarantee it. Okay. When, when, when someone comes with a process, right, versus something physical, like with a carrot peeler or a trademark, but it's a process. Is that a patent? Is that how do you patent a process or are you trademarking a process or is it is that a copyright? I mean, how does a, that work? You could get a patent on a process. Like, for example, I think Amazon has the one click registry. That's a that was one of their famous early on process patents, which is the process of doing the one click purchasing. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a patent. I don't do those. Um, in terms of a trademark, you can trademark your services. Now, I do have some clients that have uh, service products, you might call it, products that they sell, uh, the service product, you know, right, like you. you have, it, yeah. Exactly. And you can trademark your, your service name for that service that you sell. Um, I have done that for some clients that have consulting businesses and they have a certain webinar or some things that they uh, trademark, again, to protect yourself online so that your product, your service is the one that comes up when people are searching online. Again, there's so many different aspects of, of trying to protect. I mean, you work hard, you, you build your brand or whatever it happens to be and to just to kind of lose it because you weren't properly protecting yourself is, is frankly kind of silly. But again, I was there once. I, I, I lost my uh, my trademark because I wasn't paying attention and I was doing it myself and didn't use a lawyer and and um, and had to use a lawyer to get it back. <laughs> it happened. It happened. Yeah. So so in this conversation, we you know, we really touched on a lot of different things. It, so this is kind of an open ended question to you. Is there something that uh, I didn't touch on that you want to make sure the listeners hear about? Okay, well, you had mentioned, uh, sorry, you had mentioned copyright up front, and we didn't speak about that at all. I do want to mention that because it's very important. Um, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've had even nonprofits or individuals come to me, oh, I found this image on the internet, and I just put it on my website, and it's a nonprofit website. I shouldn't have to pay because I'm not making anything commercial off of it. Hey, guess what? That photographer almost certainly does not care. Okay. They have these, um, they have these search engines that will crawl the internet for images and will find copyrighted images. It's a, it's an industry. It's a, it's an industry out there. And then if they find a copyrighted Im image on a website, doesn't, they don't care whether you're a nonprofit. They don't care whether you're an individual. They don't care whether you're making money off of it. They'll send you a cease and desist letter and they, the only way to resolve it is to almost the only way to resolve it is to pay 
the money mm -hmm. uh, because they're statutory damages, like you mentioned up front, the amount. I mean, I'm not saying that you'll always get that, that the photographer would always get that, um, but they threaten to take the person to court. That's expensive. Hiring a lawyer is expensive. So they've worked it out so that it's cheaper to settle rather than to fight. And that's their business model. So all I can say is if you are, if anyone listening is taking an image off of the internet, make sure it is in the public domain, double and triple check that because it is a sad story when, when, when people get that cease and desist letter. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's so many sites now that are offering, you know, free usage, but I, I would also encourage anybody who goes to those sites to go read their terms because some of them, the, the, the way they structure those terms aren't exactly free and ultimate usage. You know, you have to give credit or whatever it happens to be, which, which I think is really important, which actually leads me to another question is in, in, and it's probably not necessarily your area, but you're going to have some insights on this. And that is your privacy and uh, terms of uh, privacy statements and terms of use on your website. Now, I know and, and that I know people, I know people who have <laughs> actually just gone to somebody else's site, you know, did a did a opened it up, copied it, changed the name uh, to protect the innocent. Right. And then put it on their website. But those become very important documents, whether people read them or not doesn't really it matters but it doesn't matter in the sense that you're offering up the, those correct terms and explaining your privacy so those become important issues as well i think in, in kind of the protection of your brand yeah i really don't do that at all because it is a completely separate um area but i want to emphasize and totally agree with your point europe had new laws that came in like a year or two ago and gdpr yes and California also is having new laws about that. And it is very important to have your your terms of use, your privacy, you know, how you, you have to state how you're using, uh, how you're collecting user data and how you're using it. And I, I really can't speak to that at all, except to say hire somebody that knows those those that area of the law. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, and I and I and I bring it up because I know it's important and I've had people say, oh, just go copy it someplace. That's not I, I, I don't know that other business. I mean, I might be copying. Who knows where they got it from, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who who they stole it from. Exactly. Very funny. Um, so a, a few more questions as we kind of wind this down. And this is kind of a new question I ask, but what what's something that I would say business people or people misunderstand about your business? I mean, is there a misconception that they have about, you know, you're doing trademarks and they expect a certain thing? Is it, or do people really understand when they come to you, they understand why they're coming to you? Uh, the way I have my business structured right now, they usually understand. But maybe um, somewhat related to that is the concept that they don't understand that just because they have chosen a name and they have a personal liking to that name, it still may not be the proper name for their business. And probably you as a marketing person know this. I always tell people, uh, ask, even if you don't do a formal marketing survey, ask other people because people have different impressions of what words mean in their mind. And also search the U.S. Patent and Trademark Database, which is something I do. I'll provide that service. But I mean... Because, like I say, if there's other marks out there, 
it's really not helpful to to the business to have a mark that's similar to other trademarks. It's it's even when they're very attached to it. I think that's what I really want to say is, you know, having a personal attachment to a name does not mean that it is the right name for your business. Yeah. And and that's very true. A lot of times it's like, what does that really mean? I, I was just on a call with somebody recently and they were um, showing me their products and, and I didn't understand the product name. And there was just something that they made up and it meant something to them, but it, it, there was no relationship to the category and the, and the product that they were in. So two more questions. What makes you feel inspired? What gets you out of bed every day? What inspires you? Hmm. Wow. In COVID-19, that's an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's unrelated to, um, I guess my business, but I am very interested in politics and political events. So I like to know what's going on in the world. And uh, I think I mentioned before, I am sort of involved with a radio station. So I just have a deep uh, affinity and love for news, education of people, and just letting people know what's happening in the world. So final question that you know, this is a business show and, and it's always about topics and concepts and hopefully education for my listeners. So if you could offer up two suggestions, maybe three, I'll leave it up to you, uh, that can really help our listeners in, in their business and in, in, in the realm of protecting themselves in, in the trademark arena or copyrights or patents, um, that uh, if you could leave them with two or three parting uh, tips, if you will. One, I would, of course, say protect your brand name. Two, if you get an office action, if somebody has filed for a trademark application and got an office action that finds likelihood of confusion, that's what it is. Sometimes they still can get that mark registered. But if, if the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is saying there's a likelihood of confusion, that's going to mean that people may be confused and I guess this is maybe a long way to say this, but people always think that it's their name, but they don't consider that if they become successful, their clients may be confused and go to the competitor. That's one of the key points. People are so attached to their name. They just think it's theirs, theirs, theirs. And they don't think about those consumers out there that are just scrolling through the internet or whatever they're doing. And they, all these names kind of blend together and they just go off to the, to the competitor. So again, I guess come back to saying, find at least something that's distinctive about the name and trademark it. Well, Sharon, thank you so much. This has been uh, a lot of fun. I, I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. And uh, I always, uh, when I walk away as well, I'm, I'm always looking to learn from my guests, which I, I did. Uh, I learned quite a few things today. So thank you for that. And I'm sure my listeners did as well. So why don't you uh, let them know how they can contact you and LinkedIn, websites, all that good stuff. Well, thank you, Angelo, for having me on your show. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about trademarks, which I do actually really love. Maybe I should have said, I love trademarks, and that's why I get out of bed in the morning, because I do like doing them. Um, yeah. Again, my name is Sharon Adams. My uh, website is adamslaw.biz.biz. I'm on the internet. I'm in LinkedIn, Adams Law Office, Sharon Adams. Um, you can find me.
All right. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us at the cafe today. You can find out more about me, read my blogs, view my show videos, or sign up to receive future information at theponzigroup.com or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And if your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me. I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a CMO in a consulting interim or fractional role. And lastly, please subscribe to this show. And if you're already a subscriber, I encourage you to let others know about this great content like you heard today. Um, you can find out more about that at thebusinessgrowthcafe.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Join me later this week for the release of my 100th show. Can you believe that? 100 shows. And I want to thank you for listening for the past 20 months and listening today and listening in the future. Join me next week or later this week, actually, at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you, Angelo. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.